electricals out and I grilled out and, and then after I grilled out and I'm, I'm sitting around there going, man, a bowl of ice cream would be great. And that put me over the top. And the next thing I know, I feel this pumping and she's going, if you don't wake up, you won't sleep tonight. <laughs> so the sugar high made you take and, and you said, I don't need to sleep tonight, I'm uh, sleeping right I'm now? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm taking care of that now. Yeah. yeah. Well, I do thank you guys for cleaning yesterday or whenever it was. I guess it was yesterday. Thank you. Got it done a lot faster than we were planning on it. That's good. That's nice. Yeah, it was nice. A um, couple things. Uh, so Bible conference starts on the 19th. So that's uh, well, the 5th, I think. Is it 5th or 6th? So two weeks from today, basically, uh, the Bible conference will start. And be praying for all of that. There's a lot of details that normally we have worked out and everything is in order and everything is ready and we're just waiting and counting the days, but every, nothing is in order yet. We are, um, I'm not even sure what, we're, what kind of material we're going to get from bearing precious seed. <clears throat> they, um, they, they put a new printer in and uh, so they had two printers, two presses, but um, they're still having problems with it. So it's everything that all their people are just focused on trying to fix this machine. And so things are running way behind. So I don't know if we're going to get what we're going what I've asked for. I think we will, but I don't know. They said we could pick it up on the 16th of September. The Bible conference starts on the 19th of September. So you see the, the window. I mean, normally the stuff is here two weeks ahead of time. And it's just like, everything's a breeze. We just load up on Saturday. So Saturday the 18th is when we need to load out and get everything ready, set it all up. And I don't know the condition. I don't know if they're going to be pre-collated. I don't know if they're going to be, if they're going to have to set up collation tables because they're, they're not really clear on what they're going to give us. Some may be collated already. Some will need to be collated. I don't even know. And so it's just a fun thing. We may not do as much as I was thinking. Uh, we may be done by Tuesday night. I don't know. But there's other things that we'll try to make it work. But we're still going to preach the word, and uh, that'll be good. So just be in prayer for all of those kind of things. Um, and uh, since we were talking about cleaning the church, just a note that so everybody's kind of put it on their calendar. The next time we're scheduled is the weekend of October 16th. So that'll be the next time that we will clean is October 6th, that weekend anyway. Um, just a couple of names or our prayer list for our class anyway to pray for the Arnies. Um, I, I can't look at your text on my phone right now, so if you could just read that text from Betty, that would be easy, better than me turning the, the recording off. So basically, things are going well. I'm just going to give it to you in a nutshell while she's looking it up. Um, he, he's back on chemo again as of Monday night. They stopped his his heart rate, his heart medication. The rashes uh, that he had all over his body and mouth and everything is is uh, the chemo came the mouth, everything other all the side effects except for the rash were from the chemo. That's why they stopped chemo. The rash that he had horribly. So he's off of the heart rate medic heart medication right now. And the rash is going to be gone pretty much 
So he's doing better, but they need to get the, they need to get restarted, and they did on Monday. He restarted on the chemo, which um, uh, <clears throat> appeared to be working, and uh, that was the, that was the drawback. The, the drawback was that they had to stop that to find out what's causing all these other side effects. You know, if they couldn't restart it, then the cancer uh, had an advantage. But this is good that they've restarted that for him, and um, it's a lower dose, but it's it. I don't know how they know how much dose to give. You know, I just know that they know they figured that stuff out. I don't know if it's body weight. I don't know. Um, but anyway, overall, pray for pray for Gwen and for Betty. Um, you know, she's trying to do her, the best that she can to take care of him and keep him going right and get him to the doctor and all those kind of things. So just pray for both of them. <clears throat> pray for Desiree. Uh, things going on with her. Um, well, procedure you had last oh you had your gallbladder removed and uh, your which was pretty much toxic so that's why I went into that shop and I tried to back in the hospital but I'm 100% better now 100% better now good okay and she got some more tests coming up next week so pray for those tests this Friday this Friday biopsy okay the biopsy um So we praying for her, and then all of that and it goes well. Um, I got J Joe Schaefer on the list here. I think I read a, a Facebook post or an email or something that he's doing better, um, but he still could use some prayer, um, trying to recover from everything he's going through with COVID and pneumonia, and I think he had both COVID and pneumonia at the same time. And um, let's see. We're still looking for people if they're interested in going to um, um, consider going to Monmouth on the mission trip there. That's in November. Um, Ray Blowers, Ray and Brianna Blowers are heading that team up, and uh, they had a pretty good turnout at the meeting last weekend. Um, but they still could make you know get some. If they get enough committed, I don't think they have the team to need 18. I think they have about 14 committed or 12. So they still could use some more for that trip. Um, that's a good time. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. A lot of fellowship. A lot of work. Um, anybody that's interested in taking how to disciple? If you need to, that's starting up here on the fifteenth of September. You can, you can sign up online for that. So that's basically it. I think everything else you know about. Um, let's see what is this. Uh, the praise the, for the life issues walk last. Uh, Friday night, they raised nearly $14,000, which will be used for their ministry. That's pretty good. That's a lot of money. That's, I think that's probably one of the biggest uh, fundraisers they've had in a long time. So, uh, praise the Lord for that. So, anyway, uh, let's turn over to the second or Psalm, chapter 122. I'm just going to read through that, and we'll go to prayer, and we'll get into the lesson. Psalm 122, verses 1 to 9. It's a short passage. Bus. Hmm? I was helping Amy move the bus. And she know how to drive a bus? 
Yeah, but backing up, she didn't want to hit any cars. She said, sit down, little girl. <laughs> oh, you were in the back of the seat? Yeah. All right, Psalm chapter 122. As I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within the, thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. Whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. <clears throat> for there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, Peace be within thee, because of the house of the Lord our God. I will seek thy good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. It just reminds us so much of, of Lord, that we can come to you, we can pray to you, uh, we can pray for the peace in, in the, the world. And it says specifically in verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we do pray for that, Lord, that you would uh, bring peace in the Middle East uh, and uh, resolve uh, the uh, cultural differences there and, uh, and establish uh, an understanding in, uh, across the world that the the city of, of Jerusalem is, is the place that you put your name, and it does represent who you are. We pray, Father, for peace within thy walls. We pray for peace for, for all people. We just ask for your blessings on the, on the day. We pray for uh, Gwen Arney and Betty, and we pray for Bob and uh, Sharon Bolkin and Bud Crust and others, Lord. Pray for Desiree as she prepares for her, uh, her biopsies, Lord, and and, uh, Lord, we don't have the whole prayer list in front of us right now, but we know that there's a lot of names constantly on that list. And we pray, Lord, that you would work in their lives and manifest yourself in, in their life to the, uh, to the rest of the world um, and so that other people can see your hand moving. And we just thank you and praise you for it all, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. All right, Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to pray. We do lift up um, all of the needs of our church. I mentioned before we started praying, Lord, about the Bible conference, and we do ask for your hand to be upon uh, all of those details that you would work those things out, Lord. If we, uh, if we're, whatever shipment we get uh, that week, I pray that they arrive on time so that we can have the, the, the assembly set up and ready to go so we can start Bible on the, on the 19th. Uh, Lord, that is to glorify you and, and that your word will go forth to different places around the world as they need to be used. 
We just ask for your hand to be upon that. Pray for those that are speaking. Pray for those that are going to be serving. Pray for those that will be preparing meals, setting up tables, doing all the work that needs to be done. Lord, we just ask for your hand to be upon all of those things and you would be glorified through that work. We just ask now, Lord, that you would speak to us through this passage as we continue our study in the book of 2 Corinthians. We just ask for your, your blessing on the day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we're at. Um, so I know that everybody knows, because this is what we teach in this church, that... Um, that Scripture preserves. Uh, scripture is preserved. God, it's, it's God's Word preserved, I should say. And so we know that there's two letters that, that God has preserved that were written specifically to the, to the, uh, the church at Corinth. Uh, he wrote, he, we know, we've, we've already talked about it at the beginning of this lesson, of this study in 2 Corinthians, that there's, there's probably been at least four letters written to the, to the church at Corinth. Um, we have two in, that were preserved, and those are the ones that matter most to us um, the focus of the first of the book of first corinthians which we called it the long letter of the of the four letters you remember we had the uh, the lost letter the long letter the lamenting the lamented letter and then the last letter so the long letter obviously is first corinthians chapter is first corinthians 16 there are 16 chapters i'm sorry uh, that's the long letter and that was basically a do- doctrinal letter it was paul was writing that letter to correct a lot of b- bad doctrine uh, that needed to be corrected. And so that was the focus of that letter. The focus of this letter, 2 Corinthians, that we call the last letter, it's on who the believer should be. And so I've entitled this whole study uh, being transparent uh, as a Christian because we want people to see through us, see beyond us, and see see God and see Christ. And if we're, if we're not transparent so that they can see God in Christ, then we are blocking their access uh, to um, to God and to Christ and possibly to, to their own salvation. And we don't ever want to do that. We want to be transparent as much as possible. So, so this letter, uh, it's, it's more of a, this is really actually a pretty good letter if you really want to know the heart of Paul and the intents of Paul and, the, and the, 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 the ministry of Paul, this is that letter. Because it's more of a testimonial of Paul and his ministry and his life and his intentions uh, than it is of anything else. I mean, there's doctrine in here. There's a lot of good teaching in here. But this letter focuses more. Paul is being attacked. Uh, and you, you know that in many places that Paul went, he was being followed by uh, what are called Judaizers, those that want to take people back to, Ju- back to Judaism, uh, back to the law, back to the sacrifices and all of that stuff. And so everywhere he went, I mean, you, you can read it in the, in the book of Acts, no matter where Paul went, uh, even these small churches that we don't have letters for, like like uh, I, uh, Iconia, Paul went to Iconium. There's no letter to the to the church at Iconium. There is a letter to the church of uh, uh, Galatia, which that's in, but it's not the same. It's not quite the same thing. But even as he went through there in the Book of Acts, you can see where people came in behind him and he tried to corrupt them. And that's one of the reasons on his second trip. Paul's intention on his second missionary journey was to go back to all the churches that he got started. And make sure they're doing okay. Make sure they hadn't been uh, diverted to some false doctrine. And, of course, that God said, I'll take care of those churches. You go do something else. And that's when he went on his second journey. But anyway, the point is, is this, this, is a, a, this is more of a testimonial of Paul comparing his ministry as he defends himself against false accusations. 
Uh, and he's, he's, he's not taking a position. It's not like a court situation where he's on, on trial. But he is trying to say, hey, you know who I am. You know what I've taught you. you and in this chapter, he's actually basically saying, the things that you believe is what I've been teaching. So you know nothing without me teaching it. That's kind of how he's saying it. And he's saying all those false teachings, those accusations they're making against me, uh, just ignore them, basically. So this is a letter that puts the believer on the path to serving God to the, the believer's greatest ability. So if you want to know how to serve God, just and we, we talked 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, follow Paul's example in this letter here. Um, so how, you know, if you read, when you read that 1 Corinthians 11, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, what, what does that mean to follow him? What is he doing? 2 Corinthians tells you what he's doing. Basically tells you his heart and his intentions. Uh, not just his teaching, but from who he is. And so the Judaizers had been waging a constant battle of deceit and diversion to capture the heart of the immature Christian. And let me give you a couple of examples. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, Paul is accused of walking as though he, he sought to fulfill the lust of the flesh. They were accusing him of desiring to, to fulfill his own flesh. They said, or he writes, he says in verse 2 of chapter 10, I beseech you that I may not be bold uh, when I am present, with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. He says, I'm, I'm going to be bold here, and I'm going to tell you I'm not walking according to the flesh, even though that's what they say I'm doing. That's not what I'm doing. He's just saying I'm not doing that. And later on in that same chapter, in verse 10, it says, for his letters say they, so he's kind of saying his letters, Paul, my letters, Paul, they say, those Judaizers, they say, uh, they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Basically, they're saying he's got good letters, and it sounds great on paper, but he, does, he doesn't live what he says. He's not walking his talk. That's what they're claiming. And Paul says, no, that's not true. That's not what's happening here. So in addition to the accusations of his weakness scripturally and his speech and his writing was contemptible, he said, you know what I've said. You know what I've taught you. You know what I've written. You know these things because I taught you these things. And so, uh, so there's many negative behaviors that, are, that these Judaizers were engaged in, and I don't need to document them all. In fact, I probably won't m mention too many of them specifically unless we hit that verse as it comes. Um, but throughout the letter, he's pointing out, um, in almost every chapter, at least one time, some accusation that they've made against him that he has to deal with at that point in time. Okay, so uh, last week or two weeks ago, uh, last time we were together, we, we started chapter 4, and we were looking at Paul's emphasis on enduring in ministry. And so last week, uh, if you, or two weeks ago, we, we titled that, that portion of the chapter, Enduring in Ministry. This one, the rest of the chapter, we're going to try to get through the whole chapter today, chapter 4, I call it abounding in ministry. So you have to endure so that you can inbound. Uh, not inbound, you have to abound, sorry. Uh, and so that's kind of where we're going. And so, the, so we, we talked about that, and we started in verses 1 to 6. I just want to read that passage just to, just to kind of get it started. I'll read verses 1 to 6. It says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we faint not, but we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. 
in them, the God of, his, of this world, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of God, of Christ, which, who is the image of God, should shine forth unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So all through that, those six verses, you can see that Paul is talking about being a transparent believer, being transparent enough so that they can see through him. In fact, he even, he even warned us that that's what Satan is trying to do in verse, verse 4. He says, In whom the God of this world, that would, be, that would be Satan, the God of this world, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. That, that shining unto them, that's the transparency enough. The devil doesn't want you to be able to be a transparent enough Christian so people can see God behind, behind you. That's what, he's, that's what Paul is concerned about. And that's exactly what the Judaizers are trying to do, deceive people enough to not look for the truth of, through the transparency that is there. So, so um, the point being made to all the believers is that we must understand the significance of what has been given us and our role in the ministry. And our, our role as minister. So we're, we're enabled. Remember in chapter 3, Paul talked about it specifically, uh, that we are enabled to do many things. In fact, look at chapter 3 for just a minute, verses 5 and 6. Paul said there in verse 5, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of, as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. God made you sufficient to serve Him, to, to minister to, to work uh, as, as a representative of God, verse 6, who also made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. And that kind of points us back to chapters 1 and 2 where we dealt with um, the issue of, of um, liberty and law. And the, the Judaizers want to take people back, they want to take the church back to the law, back to the law and to sacrifices where Paul says that we have liberty, we don't need to go back to that again. And so, bear in mind that we're enabled, and you all, you all are enabled in ministry to do several things, and I have them listed here just for you, just as a review of these first six verses of chapter 4. So, verse 2 says that, says that you have the ability, you've been given the empowerment, you've been, you've, been, you've been made sufficient to accomplish this. Number 1, verse 2 says to manifest the truth. Now, it's really easy for us to manifest a lie by not be, being transparent enough that, that people can see, see Christ. So we've got to be careful about that. Verse 2, you know, but if we renounce the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, which is a lie, handling the Word of God deceitfully, which is a lie, by, by the manifestation of the truth. So we have the ability, God has given each one of us the ability to manifest the truth to the lost. So that's the first thing you keep in mind. And I'll bring all this up again as we go through chapter 4. Verse 4 says, what, what we do is for the glory of God, in whom the God of this world has blinded the mind of, of those that believe, um, <clears throat> lest the glorious gospel of Christ, which is the image of God, should shine forth. So that's our, that's our sufficiency there, the ability, is that we, what we do is for the glory of God. We want people to see God in His glory. Verse 5, we, are to, we, we have the ability to preach and I actually would say to preach or to deliver. That covers everybody. Everybody has the ability to deliver the word of God to somebody else. So 
So I'm not saying that everybody has to be a preacher like Pastor Brian, you know, preaching main service and all that kind of stuff. But everybody is capable. God has has actually recruited you all to to deliver the word of God to other people. And that's an important thing. That's a, it's a it's a, it's a distinction between preaching and discipling, preaching and teaching in in the in a, a children's ministry or preaching and teaching a Bible study in your home or something like that. You're delivering the Word of God, and we all have that ability to deliver the Word of God. And then the, the, the fourth thing, and also in verse 5, is that we have the ability to not hide the gospel as we announce Christ who shines into the world. We have the ability to declare the gospel. There's, I know sometimes people get a little nervous, and I don't know if I can say that. Well, you have the ability draw on that ability from God use that as your strength and the last thing that we have the ability to do we have the sufficiency to do is in verse 6 be used by God to shine forth his light we have all of us isn't it amazing you know we think that we're something special sometimes maybe not all of you you don't think that but but there are people that think there's something special because they are delivering the word of God they are they're manifesting God in his light but hey we all have that ability we all have so there's nothing special about a certain type of person because we all have the ability. Paul is very clear. You have the ability, Corinth. And you're losing out because you're not doing what you have been taught to do. So we covered the concepts of, that help us to accomplish whatever God t- tasks us to do. He's ordained us to take on whatever he wants us to do in the world. And that's, look at verse 1. There's a phrase and I kind of glossed over real quickly. Therefore, seeing that we have this ministry. Now, everybody can claim that verse is your own. We have this ministry. As we have received mercy, we faint in the ministry. We faint not in that work. And so that's a, new, that's a new key part, part of it right there. God has made you enabled to do that. He's making the point, Paul is, that God has deemed you as being both sufficient and as able ministers in accomplishing the work of ministry. That's what we've already read, 2 Corinthians 3. Verses 5 and 6, we go back and reviewed that. But that's where Paul says, God considers you sufficient to serve, sufficient to deliver the word. There's, there's nobody that is not sufficient. If we, if, you know, I'm not saying everybody has to, but I think everybody should at some point be able to deliver the word. Even if all you did was say, you know what, I believe in Jesus Christ and I want to tell you about him. That's called witnessing. That's delivering the word. It's real simple. Deliver the word. And so I think we have the ability all to do that. So Paul gives extensive information about his own life in the rest of this chapter, and really most of his book, about his own life and his own ministry as an example to us as we invest our life in the ministry that God has given to us. Now, I don't know if you've ever actually tried to think about it, um, but I would encourage you to take, take, take this week, this coming. We've got a holiday weekend, you know, a couple of days off, or I don't know if you have to work or not. Some people still have to work, but, but there's... But over the next week, just take, take time and say, what is my ministry? Just ask, ask yourself, what is my ministry? What does God call me to do? Now, some people can say, well, that's really easy. I, I, go, I work in, a, in, the, uh, in the Little Lambs. Okay, that's fine. That's your ministry. Praise the Lord. But sometimes people are like, well, I'm not really sure. Let me just tell you what. Everybody has a ministry. Because God said in verse 1 of chapter 4 that he has given to us. We have received... Um, we have the, the ministry that he's given to us. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry. I'm trying to read without my glasses on. 
Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we receive mercy, we faint not. We have this ministry. But it, and, no, I don't know if, I hadn't really pointed out, but when we get to chapter 5, it's really kind of an interesting thing. From chapter 3 and really towards the end of chapter 2, but from chapter 2, 3, 4, and then when we get into 5, he's building, on the, he's building his case for your ministry. And when we get to chapter 5, in fact, everybody's pretty familiar with what the end of chapter 5 says, that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. reconciliation. You see, he's, he's leading us to that concept. He's lead, he's, it's really interesting how he's teaching us all of this stuff, and he's building a case and defending himself all at the same time. That's talent. I mean, this is a cradle. I, mean, I don't know if we could all do that. But anyway, um, so, the, so okay, so that's chapter Chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, that's kind of what all that was about. Let's get into chapter, the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 7. And I, this is what I would call abounding in ministry. And so we begin chapter 4, uh, this part of the study. Paul expands on the reality of ministry and the intent of ministry. So in the, in the remainder of the chapter, and really as we move into chapter 5, Paul encourages us of the benefit and the blessing of ministry. And he encourages us to participate, I'm sorry, to perceive the abundant grace in ministry. He uses that phrase at the end of the chapter, the abundant grace. It's a very, very important concept that we'll get to towards the end here. So verses 7 to 11, let's just read that. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Now, there's a lot there. There's a powerful statement that he's making here, right here. But what he's talking about is says the gospel is not about our prosperity. The gospel is about the prosperity, basically the promotion of Christ. And so in verse 7, notice in verse 7, there's a, I, I call this the, I say that ministry is a journey from treasure to death. Ministry is a, treasure, is a journey from treasure to death. And what I mean by that, look in verse 7 again. He says, but we have this treasure. Okay, so there's the beginning of your ministry. You have this treasure. Now look at verse 11. I think it's verse 11. Yeah, verse 11 at the end. Um, well, verse 11. For we which live are always delivered unto death. So from treasure we're delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the, life of also, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. And that mortal flesh represents the fact that we, are, we don't have immortality in the flesh. There comes an end, there comes an end of, for us of death. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. I mean, we just get to go to heaven at that point. But our ministry goes from the time you receive the treasure all the way to the time you... Basically, your life, your life is your ministry. Your whole life is ministry. That's, that's, the, that's the focus that Paul put on his life. He's, Paul says, you know what? I'm just going to serve God until I die. And that's, uh, that's the, the, the attitude that we all should take. I'm just going to serve God until I die. What else am I supposed to do? I mean, I, you know, I, I can take a trip and go on vacation. I can do this. I can do that. That's fine. But even in all of that, you have a chance to witness and share the gospel? Yeah. Okay? Just continue in your ministry, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing. So here's the thing. 
uh, as I said, ministry is a journey from treasure to death. So in between verse 7 and verse 11, Paul describes the power of the ministry and the importance of the message. So he, the power of the ministry and the importance of the message. You know, when you think about treasure, though, everybody everybody kind of wants a treasure, right? Everybody wants wants treasure because it defines our richness, it defines our wealth, our status, and so on. But this is not, this treasure that he's talking about in verse 7, it's not that pirate treasure on, on a deserted island. It's not that, you know, wooden chest you open it up and there's gold coins spilling out all over the place. That's not what he's, he's not talking about that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow either. He, that's not what he's talking about. The word treasure is not a pirate chest. It's not a pot of gold. Treasure is what is laid up by you in store. You know, you should be thinking already, and most of you probably already are, of Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. It says, Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break in nor steal. The point that Paul's making with this treasure thing here is that it's... It is the time that we are entrusted with the treasure of the gospel. And when I talked to you about that before, I mean, in 1 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, he says uh, that, that uh, um, I lost it. Let me turn it over. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I thank God, Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. That's that enablement right there. God has enabled Paul, and that's what he's referring to. His, I'm th- I thank God who hath enabled me to put me into the ministry. God has enabled him. He's, in, he's entrusted to him uh, the, the, the treasure. And so, um, so we have that entrusted into us. We're, we're enabled and we're given the sufficiency to succeed in the proclaiming of the gospel. And that should be enough to carry us. That ought to be enough. The fact that we've been entrusted ought to be enough to carry you to the end of your life regarding, uh, regardless of what the end looks like. Because, next point, ministry is the privilege of carrying such treasure in our earthen vessels. We actually have the privilege of carrying this treasure and Paul reminds the church that all men, even apostles, are nothing more than earthen vessels made of clay. I think we all understand that, right? We remember back in Genesis chapter seven, chapter 2, verse 7. Remember there when there was a pile of dirt that had been pulled together by God, and he, he, he knelt down and he breathed the breath of life into that pile of dirt, and that pile of dirt became a human life? That's, that's the concept of being earthen. We're earthen, and that means that we are breakable. We're easily breakable. Uh, but He's trusted us in our bodies, in our in our breakable bodies. He's trusted. In fact, the breaking part is important. And so, uh, no matter where we, who we, no matter who we are, we're all the same. No matter whether you're Brian or you're the Apostle Paul or you're yourself or whoever, no matter who you are, we all have this. We're all the same. We're all made of a fr- of fragile clay but we're also a vessel to which God intends to use by putting his treasure into you as a vessel to proclaim the gospel. That's a cool thing. That's a, that is, a, just the fact that God would use me to deliver the word of God has always amazed me. Uh, and I stand always amazed that he would do such a thing. I mean, who am I? 
I'm nobody. Who was I before I got saved? I was definitely nobody. I was, I mean, I thought I was somebody, but I was nobody. Yeah. I think everybody's like that. We're thought we're some, until you meet Christ and you realize you're nobody. Until he puts his treasure in you, and then now you're somebody. Mm-hmm. Who are you? You're a child of God. Mm-hmm. And because you're a child of God, you can do certain things. Because God says, I have given you the ability to sustain you, to, to, to make you work, to, to give you the work that you need to do. And I made you able to do these things. And I know sometimes I don't feel like I'm able. Uh, there's times when I just, especially being sick, I just wear out. Yeah. I get to the point where, uh, you probably didn't notice last Sunday, but I was, I was like, yeah. I'm done. Yeah. I needed to go home. It was, uh, and that's kind of the way it is for me. And some days are great, some days are not. But anyway, the point is this. Uh, ministry is the privilege of carrying treasure, the, the treasure of God in our earthen vessel. And so no matter who we are, we're all the same. And Paul points in, he, he, Paul's point that he's making, he reminds us, you, know, you wonder why this, the Old Testament has so many stories in it. It's because God is trying to convince us of things that is, that is true. And just one story about the earthen vessels, I just want to remind you. Turn over to Judges chapter, chapter 7 real quick. We won't, we won't stay in Judges too long, but I just want to look at this passage. Judges chapter uh, 7. Now, probably many of you are familiar with this story. Uh, this is the story of Gideon and his band of 300 soldiers. And he says in here, he says, verse 7, And the Lord said unto Gideon, By, by the 300 men that lapped will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand and let all the other people go, every man unto his place. So he's kind of, he's, he's worked his army down to 300. So the people took, uh, this word always gets me. I, I pronounce it victuals. Somebody pronounces it vittles. Sorry. It, to me, it doesn't make it. it anyway. Uh, took food in their hand and their trumpets. And he's, <laughs> and he sent, <clears throat> and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man into his tent and retained those 300 men. And the host of Midian was beneath him on the valley. And it came to pass that same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it unto thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go with Purah, thy servant, down to the host. And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterward shalt thine hands be, be uh, strengthened unto go down unto the post or the host. Uh, and, uh, so I'm going to skip a couple of verses here real quick. Let's go to verse uh, 16. And he divided the three hundred men into companies, and he put a trumpet in one in, the, in every man's hand, with empty pitchers, and light lamps within the pitchers. Basically, this is a uh, this is a a pitcher, a a clay um, lantern, and so it's co- it's covered up. The the lamp is inside. the the clo- the the the, the, the pitcher is enclosed. That's the, that's the representation of the earthen vessel uh, made out of clay, just like you were made out of clay. So he goes on and he says, when I, verse 18, When I blow a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow you the trumpets also on every side of the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and the Lord and, and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with them came into the outside of the, of the camp, into the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers. And the light shone forth out of the pitchers. It doesn't say that, but that's what the point is. 
And the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hand to blow with all. And they cried the sword of the Lord and Gideon and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp and all the hosts ran and cried and fled. Basically, at the end of the story, uh, the Midianites killed themselves because the light was shining so brightly from those lanterns that came out of an earthen vessel. So here's the point. When the trumpets blew, the, the men were, were to break them uh, and the clay lantern to let the light shine. Uh, and so in doing so, the armies of the Amalekites they, they destroyed themselves. And as the men had to break the clay to let the treasured light out, so we too must be broken ourselves that the light of Christ shines out from us. Now, I'm not saying that you need to be broken like smashed or anything like that. But, but Paul, Paul, go back to 2 Corinthians because Paul's about to enter into a concept here that's very similar to being broken. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 8. We'll read, the, we'll read verse 8, 9, and 10 again. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about the body of the, of the Lord Jesus I'm always caring, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also may, of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So Paul's talking about some some things that happened to him. No, he's broken. He's been broken. He's been persecuted. He's been, in fact, he's been chased ever since he got saved. And really, I mean, he got, he's been chased ever since he got saved because he's preaching the truth, uh, and uh, and he was not liked for that. So Paul speaks of this victory as coming from the excellency of the power. Notice in verse uh, at the end of verse 7. But we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The excellency of the power of God. That, that's that boldness there. That's that, that's that uh, des- destruction of the enemy. In fact, the enemy is so, so confused he destroys himself. Um, and so this power is an abundant power as well as an absolute power at our disposal. Our ministry is powered not by us, but by, but by God. Our ministry is powered by God. We don't have to worry about having the strength to do it. We just serve God no matter what's happened. That's why I, that's why I just keep pushing. And sometimes I push too, too much, and the physical body, this, this body breaks down, and I've got to go take a nap. I just can't keep going. And probably some of you are the same way. In some way, you know, we, we get worn out. But we have to just keep pushing forward and keep pushing forward and keep pushing forward because that's what... That's what God expects. In fact, that's what Paul did. And so, um, so just back to Gideon. Gideon didn't bring victory. Instead, he just witnessed the power of God. He, you know, he didn't. Judy, uh, Gideon and his three hundred men. They didn't actually throw a, uh, swing a sword at, at the Midianites. They didn't. They just held the light up. Yeah. They just held the light up, and and that was the victory. That's all they needed. Is hold that light up. So Gideon didn't bring that victory. The word excellency in that verse, verse 7, the second half of verse 7, the word excellent means abundance. There's an abundance there. There's a power of God. Um, it's always present. Uh, that the excellency of the power of God, the excellency, the abundance of God is always there. You never have to fear that God's power is not available to you at any point in time. I'm not talking about you know, doing some sort of magical you know, uh, miracle kind of stuff. I'm just talking about serving God in His excellency and His power. The word, the word power actually means unequaled power. 
Not even Satan can match it. There's nobody else that can meet or, or, or even get close to the power that comes from God. And so when the light of the gospel is presented to the lost world who is bound by Satan, the result is salvations. People get saved when we let the light out of ourselves. We don't, be, don't, don't be so opaque that people can't see the word. Break the, break the body. And I'm not trying to get hurt. I'm not saying physically hurt yourself. But sometimes we have to recognize what's happening in our life is a, is a way to communicate the gospel. And no matter what it is, Remember that uh, uh, you know Jim Boyette's video. Yeah. That was a powerful video, and uh, you know the fact that he 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 recognized that what was happening in his body was was for the for the falling out of the gospel, and so that's not just him but others as well. Okay, so then we get to verses eight to eight to ten that we read a couple times now. Paul Paul explains this excellency of the power revealed in trials. Revealed in four separate kinds of trials. First, uh, he says he's, he experienced trouble, um, always bearing about the body of the dying of the Lord. Let's see where we go here. I lost my place. Verse eight: We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. And so he's troubled on every side. It's pre- it means it's all around him, it's like Paul is Paul is encircled by trouble. Trouble comes comes at him every time, every day, in every direction. That's the first thing he talks about. Then the second thing he says, we are perplexed, but not in despair. And so there's times when Paul was uh, Paul was perplexed, and it did cause some hesitation. I'll give you the example of, that I could think of right now would be when when uh, Paul was. Um, getting ready to go on his second missionary journey. I mentioned it earlier that he planned to go back and visit all the churches that he started in the first year. And every time he went someplace, God hindered him and stopped him. He said, I'm perplexed. I, I thought this is what God wanted me to do. Well, okay, well, I'll go this way. Nope, that's not where I No, okay, I'll go this way. And finally, God got him where he wanted to go, and it was fine. But he was perplexed at first about what, what's the deal. What, what, I mean, I thought, I thought that God had given me... The, an intentional mission on the second journey to go and visit the churches and see how they do. And then when he tries to do that, God says, no, that's not really what I want you to do. I just want you to get out of Jerusalem or Antioch. I just want you to move. Sometimes God does that kind of stuff to all of us. He says, I just need you to move. And so anyway, uh, the third thing it says, it goes on and it says, so not only was he perplexed, but in verse 9, he's persecuted, but not forsaken. Now you know when a lot of the things that Paul experienced, you probably have read them before in the book of Acts and others. Um, so um, he was obviously persecuted, and he deals that he, de- he 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 mentions it now in chapter eleven of Second Corinthians. He kind of goes through it. He he lays it all out. I'm not going to read all that passage. I just want to read Second Corinthians eleven verse twenty three. He says, "Are they the ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool." I am more in labors, more abundant, in strikes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. So that's the summary of everything he says just before that, all the different things that happened, how many times he was beaten, how many times he was flogged, how many times he was beaten with rods, how many times he was shipwrecked, how many times he was stoned, all of that kind of stuff. That's the persecutions that he says, you know what, I'll do it again if I have to. And so um, then the fourth... uh, thing that uh, Paul experienced that was a breaking of his of his earthly temple uh, it says in verse um, let's see I lost that place again I had it up we were troubled distressed perplexed persecuted 
Yeah, there it is, verse 9. After persecuted, he was cast down, but not destroyed. And so, so th- those kind of things happen. In verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 21, I'll, Paul said, I'm, 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 I'm cast down. But he, he used a word very similar to that. And I, was, I, I liked what he said here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He made a statement. He says, I keep under my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And it's interesting because in that word, it's not cast space away. It's a castaway. It's a little bit different there. Paul says, I don't want to be thrown out. I don't want the words that I speak, the testimony of my message, the, the truth of my message, I don't want it to be thrown out. And that's what we do. We cast away things. We throw them away. We cast them away. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he doesn't want to be, or he's, he's been cast away. Uh, so, he's, so he's experiencing that. He knows what that means. And he chooses, he prefers not to be cast away. We none of us should ever want that to happen. So here's how the power of God uh, starting in verse 7, is manifest in your ministries. So this is the counter. This is the counteraction of the four things that Paul talked about. So he says, uh, the first thing he says, those trouble us, uh, is, we are troubled on every side. Then he says, yet not distressed. So to counter trouble, God helps us to be not distressed, but to see all things happening for the falling out of the gospel. Everything that goes on in your life should be a way for you to communicate the gospel. And sometimes it's hard to find that. Sometimes it's, find, it's hard to, I mean, do we, are we, do we call that finding, how would I want to say it, um, finding the rose among the thorns type of thing? Okay, well, look for that. I mean, every situation that we experience should be a way to, to testify the grace of God and the mercy of God and the gift of God, and, the, and that, that gift is, is salvation. So we should be able to do that. So Paul says, you know what? To counter trouble, God helps us by not by not being distressed. So with the trouble that I'm having, I'm not going to let that trouble wear me down. It, it's it's trouble. It's painful. It's not fun, but I'm not going to let it beat me either. And then the second thing, when he talked about um, being perplexed, to counter the being confused or perplexed, he did what we just all must do. There's only one thing you can do when you're confused. And that's just to keep going. Just keep going. Keep, in fact, I would say it this way. Teach, deliver, preach the word as if that's the last time you'll ever have a chance to do it. If you, if you take an attitude like this is the last time I'm ever going to be able to share the gospel with this person or in this classroom or in this setting, this Bible study or whatever. If, 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 if this is the last time I can say it, I need to say it with with. with the power of the of, and the excellency of God and His glory, and that's what Paul said. You know, I didn't, these things these things hurt the things that he dealt with. They hurt him, but he's like, I'm not going to let that stop me. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep moving. And then the third thing that he talks about when he talked about persecution, he never let persecution stop him. He would not even consider leaving or forsaking anyone who still needed to receive Christ. He always tried to witness to those who persecuted with him, no matter who they were. Remember this, the uh, Philippian jailer? You know, the jailer got him all locked up in chains, and you know, and he still witnessed to the jailer. The jailer got saved. And he said, okay, I'm under persecution, but I'm going to give you the gospel. You can persecute me all you want. I'm going to give you the gospel. And then the last thing, the counter being cast down, um, he would always pick himself back up. 
So even though he's cast down, he would still get back up, dust himself off, and go. In Acts chapter 14, verses 19 and 20, that was a story where the Jews came to, from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people in having stoned Paul in Iconium. They stoned him, and they drew him out of the city and dumped him on the side of the road, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up, he stood up, he dusted himself off, he came back into the city the next day, and then he departed with Barnabas to Derby. I mean, Paul says, okay, you can stone me if you want, but God's power is greater than your rocks, and I'm just going to get right back up, and I'm going to keep right on moving. And so that's, that's what Paul is talking about here. So he's telling the church, the whole point of all of this, is he's telling the church, be stronger than, than this, than this uh, deceitful, deceitfulness that's coming into your church. <clears throat> Excuse me. Be be uh, be more be more bold. Be consistent. Be solid. And then we get to verses eleven to fifteen. The gospel that is that the gospel that you have is that Christ must be manifest. So starting in verse eleven, for we which live are always delivered unto the death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, death worketh on us, but life in you. We have. We're having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written. I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the, the Lord Jesus shall raise us up by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. That's an interesting verse, verse 15. We'll break that down here in just a minute. So over the next few verses, Paul parallels his teaching and preaching and how it is actually very much in line with what the church already believed. He's saying, you already know this stuff. There's no difference in what he preached and what they know, which is true. He's saying, you already know what I'm saying because you, you know the truth. And this, again, is one of the falsities of the Judaizers, attempting to paint Paul as a false teacher while they paint themselves as a true teacher. So in verses 11 and 12, Paul is driven by Christ being manifested. That was Paul's goal, was to manifest Christ in everything he did. In addressing these ministry-crushing circumstances that we just talked about, Paul was driven to ensure that Christ was made manifest. The treasure that he laid up, and we should lay up as well, is that of the gospel due to its unlimited value for the power of life. And so... We lay up the gospel as a treasure to strengthen ourselves and to share with others. That's the reason that we lay it up. In, that's why we hold that. Um, Paul never considered himself or his life to be a disaster. And we should never do that either. He always saw victory in every aspect of his ministry. He wrote to the church at Colossia. He said in Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to make the truth manifest. That was a that was a heartfelt, passionate desire that Paul had. I want to make the gospel manifest to other people so that they can see it, so they can be saved. And in verse 13, Paul's message never wavered regardless of any attempts to hinder him. He says, We have the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Well, first Paul wanted all men to experience life even though he called it called for his death. Um, so, you know, the question would be who would die that another might have eternal life? 
who would sacrifice their life so somebody else might have eternal life. That's what missionaries do, by the way. Um, you know, you sacrifice sometimes just so somebody else has the opportunity to hear the gospel. And uh, that's a powerful concept as well. And so um, Paul's belief about the power of God in the name of Christ so strongly, he believed in all this, so strongly that his message never wavered. <clears throat> he never changed his message. He never recanted his message. It was always the same thing. Paul spoke about what he called the same spirit of faith, meaning that the church had the same faith as he. So this, we all had the same spirit of faith if we believe the same things. And Paul is saying, you believe it because I taught it to you. And you all agreed with it when I taught it to you. Now why are you changing your mind? And then it frustrates you when somebody, I mean, you know, stood side by side with you and stood firmly on the same doctrine that you did. The next thing you know, they're like, oh, I'm going off this way. Where are you going? Come back here. Don't go there. Come back here. Sometimes they'll come back, you know, sheepishly. But most of the time, they, they're off and running. Can't get them back. And, just, and it just breaks my heart. Probably breaks your heart, too, because I'm sure you've seen it as well. And in verses 14 and 15, uh, we had the message of resurrection and rapture. It says, Knowing that which he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. So Paul was certain that the church believed what he had previously taught. Because we need to remember that long letter, you know, 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15, Paul was very clear that Christ died on the cross, he was resurrected again, and he said, then because he resurrected, you will resurrect. And that's how we know uh, that we're going to go exactly as, as, as God, or as Christ. Paul is clear, the most common truth that separated Paul and his Judaizers, Paul believed in the resurrection and the rapture, while the Judaizers believed in the law and sacrifice. That's the difference, you know. That's what makes the message of the Christian such a powerful message. And, and, and people who want to live in the Old Testament, why their message is stale and painful. Because it requires you to go back to the, the sacrifices and to the law and all that. But God says, no, we have liberty. We have liberty. And we have, we have freedom from all of that. We have, because there is a resurrection. Okay, so I'm going to kind of, for the sake of time, try to get to the end here pretty quick. So from, from all of that, verses 14 and 15, Paul reminds the church of the blessed hope that we all have, which is in two parts. The blessed hope is in two parts. First is what Paul termed the abundant grace given to us who believe while going to the law and sacrifice was a lacking of abundant grace. So this abundant grace is linked to the glory of God. And, is, and he uses the word redounded by the thanksgiving of many. And that's an interesting word, redound. It's something we don't say anymore. There's a few people, maybe, in a movie, who might use the word redounded. But uh, it's not something that we use. In fact, uh, some, some translations try to change redounded to abounded. Because it kind of sounds the same. And abounded is something that's more commonly used today. Um, in just, in, just in language. But here's the thing. The word redounded, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very unique word, rarely used. But it means to exceed in number. To redound means to exceed in number, to have more than enough to be in excess. To exceed in number, to have more than enough to be in excess. So Paul uses this, 
uses both the words of abundant, uh, uh, abundant grace and redounding um, in this verse to express the abundant grace from God is magnified. The abundant grace of God is magnified and made a declaration of the glory of God through the, those that believe. So let me see how he said it again. Uh, verse 15 at the end. Though the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. What are they thinking? They're thinking that they have that abundant grace. And that's just magnified over and over and over again. Those who are saved, the number of, the number of believers in the world today magnify the, uh, the, the glory of God. More people saved, more people get more people get saved, the more God gets the glory. That's they get saved because of the abundant grace that comes from God. So it's kind of a it's almost like a circle. God pours out his grace abundantly to the world. The world gets saved and give glory to God. That's what he's talking about in redundant there. That that word redounding. Verse 17 emphasizes the abundant grace and it is a reflection of the declaration of the glory of God. So he says in chapter 4, verse 17, we'll just read that and then I'll finish up. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That's the redounding part that Paul's talking about. Okay, so then he finishes up the chapter with the inward man renewed day by day. And so Paul is uh, he's just reminding us that what matters is not the outward physical person, but the inward spiritual person that we are. The entirety of the chapter is to focus on the reason for ministry, which is to bring the lost into a place where they can see the glory of God and experience the abundant grace available. That's what ministry is for. Let me repeat that one time, and then we'll be, I'll pray when we'll we out of here. The entirety of the chapter, of chapter 4, is the intentional focus on the reason for ministry, which is to bring the lost into a place where they can see the glory of God and experience the abundant grace available. The more people we get saved, the more people are going to see the glory of God, and when they see the glory of God, they're going to experience the abundant grace that comes from God. That's why we should, that's why we should minister. That's why we should serve. That's why we should do whatever we can do to preach or to deliver the word of God to people. So that's, uh, that's it. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and end here. Uh, next week will be chapter 5. Uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the, the word of God uh, through Paul, Lord, and his testimony and his life and the example that he, paid, he gave. And I just praise you for the encouragement that we get from that. Help us all, Lord, to have a, have a, a desire for ministry the same way that Paul does. And help us have a desire to be as transparent as possible that people might be able to see the glory of God, the grace of God, and the the Son of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'll say goodbye to everybody that's online. Wish you could be here. Love you guys.